With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, this is music we haven't heard in a while. The music brings in Pete Doherty of the Green Bay Press Gazette, PackersNews.com. However, I don't know if I was supposed to issue that intro because... Uh, sadly, and I do mean that, uh, Pete, you're furloughed right now, correct? I am. What is that? So give me a concept of what that means. So, I mean, I understand the term furlough, but in your world, what's your understanding of its duration or, or how it's going to work for you? So it's a week long, and it runs uh, from Sunday through Saturday, and we can't check email, you can't talk to anybody at work discussing work if they're friends of yours you can of course talk to them but no discussion of work because if there's any of that stuff then the whole week is gone and you've got to take the furlough on a different week so um yeah you just can't do anything work related for your work for the press gazette for that uh for that whole for that seven days and this doesn't apply or doesn't put that in things like this you know, you can appear on a radio show or, or have yeah this is this is my yeah this is my own time you know i'm not you know you guys aren't paying me it's just something i want to do um so yeah that's this, this is fine and uh and, and we're friends uh and not, not so much you and john but you and i i mean so. <laughs> well it goes without it goes without saying i've been following <laughs> your uh twitter feed closely and because uh, you know i tried um you know i go to the y every day pretty much and so when this started you know, I've seen your running tweets. Yeah. And when this started, I tried running. I had quit running years ago because my body got too beat up. And I got through about four runs in a six-day period, and I had a foot injury on one on one yeah. leg and I had an Achilles injury on the other. And I had to scrap running, and now I'm just biking every day. So for this, um, when, when we went on the Safer at Home concept, I, I spent almost the entire winter not running. And I, I've been a runner for 15, maybe 20 years now. Um, but I spent the entire winter not running, but when we did the safer at home, I said, okay, so I'm going to actually get out and do this regardless, just about every day. And I'm going to post because I want to, I want to like everybody else that posts that ats me on it. And I just think it's one of the things that we can do to kind of support one another. I don't know if it's, if it's real or perceived, but, um, there's an accountability factor and a support. And I think that's one of the great things Pete, when we have gone through strife in this country is that I think it does show that people will step up and help one another in tons of different ways, right? It does. It, you know, it's it's kind of, you know, I don't know if it's surprising is the right word, but it is, it's kind of heartwarming. I mean, you kind of see the best and worst of people, and, um, you know, they do come out of the woodwork, and you see all the people volunteering, you know, like the doctors and nurses in New York City, that's the most, you know, that's the biggest, that's the biggest hot spot and uh, getting the most publicity, but all over the place. I, I just saw in the paper today, or just reading online before you called, that in England they've had like 750,000 people just sign up as volunteers to help bring food to uh, elderly people who, you know, really shouldn't be leaving their house. So I think it's, uh, you know, it's not a, just a U.S. phenomenon either. And, I, you know, these are, you know, really polarized political times, but 
you know, at, you get down to the level where this is just human beings and lives at stake. So, um, yeah, I think it does in a lot of ways. It brings out uh, the best in a lot of people, too. Well, and for all of this, this is uh, different. Uh, all of us are living different quarantines or isolations. Uh, John's got a 7-year-old at home. I've got um, a 17 and 22 and 24-year-old in my house and Kari. Um you know, so it's all different, and I, I would—I don't know if it's better, worse, or different. It's just yours, right? So, what is your quarantine? What does your isolation look like? It's uh, so I'm a—I'm an old single guy, so it's me and, and two dogs, and um, <laughs> you know, I love these dudes to death, man. But I'm starting to get sick of them. <laughs> I mean, they—they mm-hmm. they think they're supposed to eat like four times a day when I'm home all day. You know, it's, it's usually twice, and the whining—it's unbelievable. <laughs> Um, it is really weird, though, that, like, um, you know, I just thank goodness for the, that guy do this out about an hour and, uh, bike ride every day. And at least I, you know, when I do that, I feel like I've got, you know, I've got out in the world and done something and gone somewhere. And when I come back, I feel like a different person because otherwise it's just been a lot of time inside. And, you know, within a week, I got TV'd out, so I've been actually probably reading more than, than I've been doing anything for the last, I don't know, probably week or so. So when you get to do this and, and you read, are you reading fiction, nonfiction? Are you reading things that you wish you would have had time to read before and didn't? Like, how, how, Fill me in on that. Yeah, fiction and, and nonfiction both. Nothing sports-related. I, You know, I order books a lot, so I've got this big stack of books that I'm supposed to read and each time I finish one, the stack is bigger by the next time, you know, with the yeah. other stuff I order. So I, I'm reading right now a, a, a fiction book, and a book by Norman Mailer. He served in World War II in the in the Pacific, and he was only 25 when he wrote this book. It was probably, it, it, it might be his best one. It's called The Naked and the Dead, and it's about the experience of being a soldier. So I'm about two-thirds done with that, and then I'm reading a, a book about uh, this basically the spying of world war ii it's um uh, supposedly one of the best books about how spying worked and on both sides and uh you know both the the axis and the allies Uh, and i just started that book i kind of i like to have two books going at once in case i get uh get a little tired of one seems like whichever one i'm reading (laughs) i kind of want to be reading the other one (laughs) it's kind of weird how that goes i I, I get it like red Favre on his tractor you know (laughs) when he's on the the tractor he wishes he was playing football when he was playing football he wanted to be on the tractor yeah i get it we're visiting with pete doherty and we've been pete's been a friend of the show and been on the show for for a long time a a lot of years and and i think almost all the time when we talk sometimes we get into some personal stuff some life related stuff but one of the things we've never done is explored the genesis of you in this business so um Give us just a, a thumbnail sketch of how and why you decided to do what you do and kind of how that career path began um, for you and where you are in, in, in this process. Yeah, you know, I just kind of fell into it. I mean, I grew up, I grew up in Madison on the west side, so I grew up, I learned how to read, reading the, the sports page, the Wisconsin State Journal. So I always followed, you know, just like you, I was following sports really closely all my life. And then I went to school at Madison, had no clue what I wanted to go into, so I, I majored in English and philosophy. And I was on the, uh, you know, not the brightest guy, so I was on the five-year program, not the sped-up sure. four-year yeah. program like yeah. you were on. And uh, so, 
going into my fifth year, I was, I, I just, I can distinctly remember this. I was reading, you know, I'd started reading Sports Illustrated pretty religiously by then. And I was reading that and I was like, you know what? I could do this better than these guys. Yeah. And so I went and talked to a journalism counselor and they said, you know, you're so far along, you're going to need to go to grad school in journalism. And they suggested a couple of schools to apply to. And I applied to them. And I got accepted down in Missouri. And, you know, a year later after getting done in Madison, I was down there and, uh, then I got an internship in Milwaukee when that ended, and uh, then that, when that when the internship added, ended, I worked uh, part time at the State Journal for a couple months. And um, when I was in Milwaukee, I got to know Cliff Crystal. I don't know if you know Cliff at all. Sure, yeah. Um, but he was, you know, he was he used to be the sports editor up here in Green Bay, and he was good friends with the sports editor. He was working in Milwaukee at that time, so that's where I got to know him. We were both in the newsroom at midnight one night and just started talking. And so I, by the end of the internship, we were pretty good friends, and he got me the job up here when somebody left when I was a couple months into working for the State Journal. And when I packed up my car and filled it with all my earthly belongings, I distinctly remember thinking, if I'm not out of here in three years, my career sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and that was yeah. in December of 1987. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, In that situation, in knowing that you didn't want to be there for more than three years, what's kept you? Is it the the kind of love affair with the the concept of covering a a pro team like the Green Bay Packers and its uniqueness? Has that been primarily what you think kept you where you are? Yeah, it's a huge part of it. You know, when I I had zero interest in covering the NFL when I got into this business, I was – a basketball guy, and uh, I was covering UW Green Bay. Dick Bennett was the coach. It was really interesting covering those teams. Uh, he was a great guy to cover because he was really candid. And they, when they played, they had a chance to beat pretty much anybody they played on any given night. It was just really interesting. But after about four or five years of that, you know, I needed something bigger. And just along that time, somebody left and. Uh, so the backup job in the Packers was open. And even though I wasn't super interested in it when I moved up here, by then I thought, you know what, it's time to, you know, play in the big leagues. And yeah. so I did, and I, it was really hard at first. The competition was, is really stiff on this beat. And so it was a real battle, and it was a lot of learning. But I, got to, I learned to enjoy it, and I learned a lot about the league. And so that's a huge part of uh, wanting to be here. And I and. I, I loved it. You know, I didn't think I didn't think I would like Green Bay, but um, I liked it. You know, especially through Cliff, I met a lot of people within the first couple months of being up here, and I used to play a lot of pickup basketball, so I made a lot of friends that way. And you know, within half a year, I loved living up here, so I've not, not really liked it since. So. Um, you know, I was never going to leave just for, for any old job. Pete, you mentioned the competition. I wonder, what was the competition like back then when you started, and how is it different or maybe the same now that things have changed from, you know, paper to going online? Are there any differences, and what was the competition like? Yeah, there are some big differences. Uh, the, the competition then was, so you had the journal, had their own beat writer, and they always had good beat writers, the Sentinel had good beat writers, and that was a separate entity. The State Journal covered it, you know, a lot more than they do now. And then you had the Press Gazette, and then the Green, uh, and that was an afternoon paper. And then there was a morning paper also in Green Bay that was pretty small, but they had a beat writer. And the TV stations 
covered a little more. They broke news more than they do now. So it was really steep competition, but the national reporters weren't as big a factor in the early and mid-'90s because the Internet still wasn't that big a deal. I don't remember the Internet getting to be a big factor till around 96 or 7, probably 97 is what I remember most. Because now almost all the big news, much of the big news gets broken by national people. All the GMs have, you know, if you picked out the seven or eight best-known national reporters, all the GMs have a national reporter or two that they go to because they know they tell that person it gets out to everybody. They want to have good relationships with those reporters because they they probably think it helps their career in case things go bad they've got somebody uh with a national voice in their in their corner so the national people are, are breaking all the big contracts uh the coaching changes all that stuff it's almost always the national people breaking that stuff so that's where it's changing it's really tough on on beat writers uh now that's probably the hardest part of being a beat writer now it's kind of makes me thankful that i'm glad uh or thankful that I'm a, a columnist and, and not a beat writer. The thing that jumps out as much as anything is in the 90s and early 2000s, especially in the 90s, if you got beat on a story by, like if the journal beat me on a story, and so I'm reading that thing the next morning, you had to live with getting beat on this big story for 24 right. hours, and it was brutal. Uh, it just it would send you into these like mini depressions. Now when news breaks, because everything's online and because everything's broken on Twitter now, the shelf life of this stuff is, you know, I mean, it's I'm literally, it's like it's minutes, to be honest with you. So when you get beat, you know, I, I know when, even when I was doing the beat and all this happened, you, it, it, you didn't take it as hard because there was always something else coming around the corner and something was old news in a half hour instead of in 24 hours. Well, that's a conversation I want to pursue, and fortunately we have some extra time. So we're gonna, we'll take a break here, but I want to pursue that because I think it's really interesting. And the industry changed again when a lot of organizations took their reporting in-house. Uh, so we'll uncover a little bit of that conversation. Pete Doherty is with us. A little extended conversation as we've become accustomed to here of late, which I, I really love. Uh, we'll have more with Pete Doherty coming back. This is the Mike Heller Show. On 1070, the game, the iHeartRadio app. We continue on this Tuesday afternoon with Pete Doherty, a long-form interview which we've grown fond of in these times. Pete joining us uh, today in this, the 3 o'clock hour. We always play Beatles music for you as your walk-up song, and, and we know you're a big fan. Did And I, maybe I asked you this on the air in the past, but did you see um, Yesterday, the movie Yesterday? I did. Um, did I saw did it on like? a plane coming. Yeah, I saw it on a plane coming back, either going or coming back from one of the California trips last season. Um, yeah, I liked it quite a bit. I thought it was just because we did talk about with the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Because you, I think you described it as it wasn't. It's not a great movie, but it was a good movie. And yeah. 
Um, that's that's how I saw it too. I thought it was really sweet, and I thought the premise was really clever, and there was a lot of you know humor in there that I enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, so and then you know being you know Beatles guy, yeah, I, I I liked it quite a bit. So now let me just jump into the conversation that we were in before the bottom of the hour break, and we we're talking about the the way that the game has changed. You're a columnist, not a beat reporter. There's a difference, um, and. Also, one of the internet change things, I think people have, have heard in our show in, in recent weeks that, uh, or over the course of time that a lot of times those stories that are broken uh, about a team and a decision on a coach or a player or a free agent or a trade, whatever, go nationally before they go to beat reporters, and, and you kind of explained before why that happens. But let me ask you about how the game changed when organizations began to bring their coverage in-house, which we see at the University of Wisconsin, which we see with the Green Bay Packers, the Milwaukee Brewers, and and these, it's done everywhere. How did that change what you do? Um, I don't know that it changed what we do all that much. It's changed things that uh, teams can put out basically press release type things, but they can do it in a format that makes it look newsier. And they can circumvent and do circumvent the local media more than they used to. They used to need you more um, than they, you know, now they can do a story on a subject. They can do, you know, let's say they sign a player. And I know some teams do this, and the Packers have done it a couple times. They'll in-house do an interview with the guy right. and post it on their website. And but they won't give it to any other – they won't make him a, that player available to other media. And so you have to take the quotes from the interview that the team did. And, I, you know, in the long run, I think it's not the best thing for fans because, you know, you really – that's the reason you have a, an unbiased media is to ask questions that end up going to topics that an in-house uh, arm of a team is not going to get into. Um, so I don't think it's changed a lot about the way we go about our job, but it's – it's uh, bitten a little bit into the um, how much teams will go out of their way to help media. It's funny, sure. I was talking with um, uh, Vic, actually it was Vic Ketchman I was talking with. Uh, you know, He used to work for Packers.com. Back in the 60s and 70s, he was covering the Steelers. And he said that back then the league was still looking for coverage. And so he could walk into the Rooney's offices. They had there was a coffee machine where the media was right by where the, <laughs> the rest of the, the teams are, and they'd yeah. run into Rooney just getting coffee, sure. and they could talk to him at any time. There's it is unimaginable, and I have friends, you know, Cliff who covered the team in the seventies and eighties. They could go up to the coaches' office, the assistant coaches' offices. They could wander around up there. Right. It is inconceivable now of reporters being in the Packers' offices yeah. without. Well, without an escort from PR, it is, it's just it's inconceivable. Well, and it makes me also interested to pursue this line, and that is, you know, I was at spring training when all this was beginning to shut down uh, four weeks ago, and they had closed the clubhouses. On Monday night, they announced that the clubhouses were going to be closed on Tuesday. And one of the big concerns with Adam McKelvey and Tom Hardercourt and Todd Rosiak and that crew was – Oh boy, once they kick us out, it's hard to imagine they'll ever let us back in. And in our world, in radio and television, it's not a big deal. But in your world, that locker room is, that's a, a, a sacred place 
for you to build relationships, conversations, and story building. Talk about that for a moment. Yeah, that would be devastating. And uh, and uh, people who follow these teams and leagues um, would would be the worse off for it. All the fans out there would be the worse off if they ended up closing locker rooms because that's where you get to know guys. Because what they do is basically they open the locker room for 45 minutes to an hour uh, three times a week. And so you go in there and, you know, maybe you're working on a story. I'll go in there even sometimes when I'm not, and you're just hanging around. And, you know, like if Rogers does his group interview, you'd listen in on that or somebody else. But you can always also use it as time just to go up and talk to somebody. And you're not even working on anything, and you might just have something you read about them or you knew about them where you could use that as a starting off point. And, you know, you develop uh, trust with somebody, and uh, you get to the point where they'll be candid with you or they'll, they'll – They'll reveal more about themselves personally, and it's not they're not giving away state secrets, you know. Uh, I mean, teams are worried about that stuff. They're not doing that. They're just, but they are maybe giving you some details that are of great interest to anybody who follows the league and follows the team. And when you don't have that trust and those casual conversations, it just that fosters so much exchange of information. And if they don't, you know. I hope I'm not being naive. I just I'm thinking that that won't happen, and that they will eventually open up the locker rooms again, and they won't use this as an excuse to permanently close them. But if that happens, I mean that would just be devastating for you know my business and for people who follow this league. You would get so much less information, so much less interesting information about all these teams and players. He's our Green and Gold Insider, Pete Doherty. How about the now uh, in the current landscape of the NFL? Let's shift the conversation to to what's going on course off the field and one of the things pete is the draft the virtual draft i know some gms have concerns too about hacking with the zoom and and whatnot how do you think this draft is going to go off coming up here later this month you know i've talked with a couple scouts about this and um you know i was talking with one today and you know he thought he said you know basically to a large degree it's kind of done it's always kind of been done virtually anyway now this has added virtual steps in it but um, of course, there's always the chance with the, with that hacking stuff, which I hadn't really heard about until this week, basically. But there's the chance that there could be some problems there. But overall, I would think this is something the league can handle and that the draft should go pretty well. There are going to be hitches. Of course, there will be. This is a first time through something. No matter how many practice runs they make between now and the end of April, there's going to be hitches. But they can build in extra time between picks. And um, I don't know what your guys' opinion on all this was, but uh, mine was, don't move it. Um, if anybody in this country can do their work remotely at this time, they should do it remotely, and that includes the NFL. I don't. I personally don't think it's a bad look for the NFL. I haven't gotten that vibe just from checking Twitter and my emails and all that. I haven't seen any pushback or much pushback at all about it, except from um, you know pundits. Basically, they're the only ones that I've seen complaining about it. So. I, you know, I'm not sure if you guys disagree, but I think the league should plow ahead and do it. I think it's something that's more than feasible feasible that they can do, and I'm glad they're uh, I'm glad they're doing it and doing it on schedule because we don't know what the landscape's going to be in a month or two. Maybe things will be better than we expect. They could be a lot worse too. So just you know, do what you can now, and you know, just take take things as they come. I, I I'm in lockstep with you. I don't think that the NFL is. Um had missteps here. I think that they've done this the the best way they can, and I 
I think in it, it, sports bands probably appreciate it. It's the one newsmaking entity that has gone on essentially unchallenged from what they would normally do, and I'm talking about free agency and draft preparation and the conversation, has given us some sense um, in the sporting public of normal in uh, in a time that we couldn't be further away from normal. Yeah, I was at the, it's funny, I was at the grocery store uh, a few days ago and uh, ran into a friend of mine who said, you know, he was just, he just said, I am so glad they are doing the draft because that'll give us something to really dig into and watch that's something new. It's not an old movie. It's not, you know, watch, it's not watching old games, which I've been doing some of sure. myself. Yeah. He said, but it's new, it's new stuff. It's interesting. And they're super thankful that the, that the league, this guy was super thankful that the league is doing it. Big, bigger picture here on the Packers, who obviously had a great season from a record standpoint, played in the NFC Championship game a year ago. National people think they were that they did a little bit of that with some smoke and mirrors, that they weren't quite as good as their numbers, their record would have indicated. If you pull back and kind of judge what the personnel looks like on this roster as they go into the draft, are, are they in a good spot? Are, are they still ascending? Can they ascend? I think so. I mean, I get why, you know, and I, if you look at the, the real basic analytics, you know, their small point differential relative to their record, teams generally that do that backslide the next year. So I get why, you know, people are wary of it. When you win a lot of close games, there's, you know, there's a certain amount of maybe good fortune in that, uh, a lot of times. But, you know, they still, they have the quarterback, you know, he's not what he was a few years ago, but he's still really good. Um, it's funny because if you look at their needs list, I look at it and I think it's really long, but there's not just one where they just absolutely have to take that position in the first round either. Um, you have a quarterback like, like they've got, um, you're, you're always in business. And if they have a really good draft, if they can find, you know, two guys who help them immediately, um, you know, they're, they're in pretty good shape and they're in business. And they, you know, the, the things will be keeping Aaron Jones and, uh, Devontae Adams upright. You know, that'll, that'll be huge, just like it was, uh, last season. Um, and I, you know, they've improved their defensive personnel. Uh, they were, I thought they were clearly not in the group with, you know, San Francisco last year in the NFC. You know, obviously San Francisco was a cut above, but, you know, they lost Armstead this offseason. So, or was it Buckner they lost this offseason? So they're, uh, you know, their defensive front isn't as good. Uh, things change so much year to year in this league. Was, I thought it was really interesting. We had to sit down with Gutekunst. Um, I think it was just before the combine. You know, there's about eight or ten reporters in there, and somebody asked him, you know, are you are you gonna do you have to look at San Francisco and look at building your roster to beat them? And he said no. He said because you know you don't know who the, that team's going to be next year. You know, San Francisco might backslide. It might be. Somebody else who has a, has a different roster makeup, who's the really good team, and while you have to be cognizant of your opponents, you know you still just have to build your team the best you can, and maybe it's you that everybody's shooting for. So I, I, I thought that was an interesting answer and probably a right way to look at it. And you know, basically, I mean, if you have the quarterback, you're you're what sixty, seventy percent of the way there at least. Let's talk about that quarterback who's 36 years old, recently said in a podcast he wants to play into his 40s. Now, we've seen the the former quarterback at Green Bay, obviously, 
cut ties with that team, move on. Talking about Brett Favre, Tom Brady this season, longtime Patriot, the greatest quarterback of all time. He's no longer a Patriot. If you had to guess in four years, by the age of 40, is Aaron Rodgers, A, still playing football, B, stay still playing football for the Packers, or C, playing for another team? Or D, will he replace Kirk Cousins in Minnesota? <laughs> I mean, you know, none of us knows, but like if I just, you know, absolutely had to make a guess, I would guess, yes, he's playing football, and I think there's a pretty decent chance, no, it's not with the Packers. I think these things more often than not end badly, and the guys move on. I mean, you know, Joe Montana and Brett Favre and Johnny Unitas and Joe Namath, and I mean, my gosh, Tom Brady, you know, Peyton Manning, I mean, if those guys end up moving on it it's no one is obviously immune and yeah if i had i guess if i had to just you know if i had to place a hundred bucks on it i'd say by age 40 he's he'd be somewhere else last thought and that's on the previous question if green bay at the end of the first round they got to the mid-20s and there was a quarterback that they wanted who slid uh and they traded up to go get him as they, they did you know what 13 years ago um I didn't like the move when they did it to get Aaron Rodgers. I was proven to be terribly wrong on that. But if they did it now, what would your reaction be? My reaction would be because I, you know, I'm, even though I do opinion, when it comes to draft picks, generally speaking, I won't criticize or praise a pick for the guy they pick. You know, like maybe yeah. you could criticize the position, you know, like trading up for a punter like they did for sure. DJ Sander. Yeah. I, you know, that's open to criticism. Or if they're overstocked at a position, I, you know, then go ahead and criticize that. But for the player, no. And I would say I understand why they did it, and I uh, applaud uh, Brian Gutekunst for uh, having the the strength to, because he's got, he would catch a lot of flack for it. But believing in himself and in the evaluating process and the quarterback position is so important that I I don't blame him for a second for doing it. And it's just a matter of whether he picked the right guy or not. And yeah. if they did, if they did, then there's you know then you're looking at another 15 or 20 years of success. So I would get completely why they did it. I don't think that's going to happen this year. But it's. I mean, if I'm him, I would have been looking at these quarterbacks as if I needed one just to make sure I scouted them thoroughly enough where in case that scenario happened and you're picking at 25 or 24, you know, you're, you're 30 and at 24, 25, that guy's still on the board. You got to, if you really like him, then you got to think about going and getting him. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.